Welcome to the Coop Tank. I'm your host, Steve Cooper, coming to you from Sweet Recording in beautiful Mount Laurel, New Jersey. You know, people, if you have a video cast, a podcast, a book on tape, or if you need a studio built, Sweet Recording's the place for you. Joseph and Matthew are awesome. They're just not only nice guys, they're honest and, and they'll hook you up. So check them out. Go to their website, Sweet Recording, S-U-I-T-E recording.com, or email them at hello at sweetrecording.com. Anyway, we have a great show today. Uh, my guest, she's the president of the Chamber of Commerce Southern New Jersey, and she's worked for the government. She's done so much, and she I think we're going to give her credit as one of the top 10 Ted Lasso fans in the country, and my guest is Christina Renna. How you doing? Thank you so much for having me. I'm totally a Ted Lasso junkie. And so I wanted to ask you, what is it? Because I, I just watched, me and Joanne watched last night's episode, okay. and- uh we won't give any spoilers. Okay. But, um, well, no, you know, it's, it's just going to air next week. We can give spoilers. Yeah. But what, what is it that attracted you to that show? What was it from the, was it from the get-go or did you build steam or why do you love that show so much? I, I feel like with any streaming show, it takes, you got to give it two or three, right? For it to f get its groove. So I started watching it. It was highly recommended by several people I know. And I watched the first episode. I was like, eh. And then second episode, I was like, eh. It just came out at a time that everyone just needed uplifting, positivity, you know, the the, the corny jokes, but they work, right? And it, it came out at a time where I felt like everyone was like still trying to get back to what normal life is. And it was just like this thing that made you smile and at the end of the day i love you know the, the overall theme and and lessons in the show which is you know just be nice just be kind believe in yourself believe in team and i mean how can you like not love a show like that so yeah i'm a huge ted lasso fan it, it does make you feel good i, I watched it i was in deborah and i had to stay overnight because they were testing a medicine man and oh, i couldn't boy. do anything right and i was completely fine and i said i'm gonna watch this and then i told my wife i said i'm i'm watching this and she don't much and then we started watching it together mm -hmm. and it is one of those things and you're right and you know in this day and age and you know we're in the business world everyone was stressed out freaking out the all chamber the went through stuff i mean all with the pandemic and you watched it and you you felt good for and now this year it's funny they went from like 30 minutes they're all like 47 minutes right. this year which is good yeah so. well it's because the show's in such demand this last episode was almost an hour long i it felt long watching it. i wasn't disappointed you know it was i'm, I'm here for it so it's so, all good Tell tell the listeners about the chamber. Give us an insight because I always I always love the right chamber because I can write C C S N J. I always love like <laughs> when you do a, a like something of that like and it's good. So tell everyone about the chamber. What makes this chamber so special? Because you've been around forever. You're huge. I'm a member. I'm an ambassador. It mm -hmm. helped me a lot when I moved back from L.A. Yeah. in the business world. It got me really acclimated to networking and meeting people. Yeah. But tell people about the chamber. So. It's so funny you say CCSNJ because it is a mouthful. So many members, just people in Trenton, anywhere. Are you going to change the name to South Jersey Chamber of Commerce? But that's our name, Chamber of Commerce Southern New Jersey. We've been around 150 years. This is our 150th anniversary. We were actually created by Campbell Soup, which is really super cool, and RCA Victor, also super cool, in the city of Camden um, as the Camden Board of Trade. So we initially in 1873 were created to be that trade association um, promoting import and exporting, manufacturing, and all kinds of trade um, out of the city of Camden that was trying to promote themselves in competition with 
Philly and, you know, other areas in the surrounding region. Um, so over time, we evolved into the Chamber of Commerce for the city of Camden, then the Chamber of Commerce for the county of Camden. And somewhere we think in the 1980s, we became um, what we are today, which is a regional business organization, which to answer your question is kind of what makes us unique. It's like you join one chamber, right? But you go to an event down in Cape May County and you see a whole slew of business people that you've probably never met if you live in Burlington County. And if you go to an event in Camden County, but you're from Atlantic County, you're meeting all new people, but it's all under one membership and all under one roof. And our prices are aligned with some of the smaller chambers. So it doesn't cost you any more. You get more, you know, a more regional impact as it relates to building your brand and your network, because every event you go to, you're going to run into different people. Now, what I like also about the events, I'm someone who is, uh, I'm an independent. Mm -hmm. And what I like about the chamber is that you will have a Murphy and then you'll have someone who runs against them. And I think that's so important because a lot of times, especially now in business, so many people get into a certain pigeonhole, like we're only going to deal with the Republicans. Mm -hmm. We're going to deal with the Democrats, liberal, conservative. But for yours, it's good. Why did you just decide, first of all, to bring in politicians? Because that can be a touchy subject. Sure. Some people get pissed off and it's oh, not yeah. good. But why did you decide to bring in politicians and whose idea was it to sit there and actually say, we are not affiliated? Because I know you guys say that. We are not affiliated yep. with any certain party. We want both sides. Yeah. I mean, listen, we have, out of our 1,100 members, probably more than half don't, to your point, don't want to touch the public policy stuff, don't want to hear from elected officials, Democrat, Republican, independent. They're just like, I, I, I don't even want to watch the news. Why do I want to come to your event? And I totally respect that, completely do. But at the end of the day, what happens in Trenton impacts how our businesses can operate in the state of New Jersey. So as a chamber of commerce that's here to further and better the business community in South Jersey or fight things that are really bad, right, for business, we need to be engaged in public policy as it relates to economic growth and development and the workforce here in South Jersey. And you got to do that by being apolitical, by not picking a side, by treating every elected official with the same amount of respect and dignity, you know, you put your own personal beliefs aside. And that's just something that um, has really helped, I think, set the chamber up to a stand out from some of our peers in Chamber of Commerce world. And also too, um, you know, regardless of party, the politicians respect that we're just here to shoot straight. We don't have any political skin in the game. We just want good policy. And that good policy is going to help make businesses better. And so, um, yeah, and that's totally by design. A lot of chambers of commerce have um, 501c4s. That's a, a political pack where you can raise money and then endorse certain candidates. We don't do that. I, I I considered it for a second as I was getting ready to take over. And I'm like, why? Why? You don't need the aggravation. You don't need the frustration. And we have the respect of people on both sides of the aisle. And we've never had a pack. So why even tiptoe into that endorsing candidates and not it's just going to upset people? And the last thing I'll say on this is, you know, politics is politics. And it's just so divisive. The day and age It's a lot different than it was, you know, even 10 years ago. Um, and the chamber has been a lobbying organization now since the 1980s, uh, if not a little bit before that. And we're just going to continue that. But it's not mandatory. 
You're a chamber member. You're not into it. God bless. And you're probably smart for not being into it. And don't come to those events. And that's totally cool. So now you're a chamber and then you work for the governor's office in the chamber. But but where, okay, you're a kid from Vineland, right? Mm-hmm. So where did, what, what were you like as a kid? What did you want to do? Were you like the girl who ran for class president or were you the cheerleader or what put you on this path? Because you've had a very interesting career. I mean, you've, you've worked with the chamber, you left, you came back and you've climbed up and now you're the president. Yeah. But what was, and I think you went to Rowan, right? I know I went to St. Joe's okay. in okay. Philly. I thought you went to, for some reason I think I went to Rowan. Oh, no. well, that's my bad. But tell me, what what were you like as a kid? What were your goals as a kid? So it's funny you say that. I kind of, all right, I grew up in Vineland, went to Vineland High School, um, and was terrible. I was a really bad student um, in high school specifically. Um really bad student, had no real idea what I wanted to do for a living until I took an elective that no longer exists, unfortunately, um, but was called PLE, Political and Legal Education. And kind of, you know, in 10th grade, I got to write a bill and um, we lobbied on it and tried to pass it in our fake, you know, class. And I was like, oh, this is really cool. And then got involved in Model Congress. Um, It was when I say it was the only thing that interests me in high school and the only thing I looked forward to as someone who was totally disengaged and um, uh, giving my parents a heart attack, probably, definitely, like every single day. I always knew I wanted to work somewhere in the public policy space. The issue was my grades, um, which were not good. And, you know, I applied to a bunch of colleges. It didn't even dawn upon me that I had to start applying to colleges, believe it or not, until, you know, very late in the process. And I applied to a bunch of schools and got into to none of them. Um, I got into one, um, Ryder University here in New Jersey. Um, but I ended up at St. Joe's University. And I ended up at St. Joe's, believe it or not, because they lost my application. And as a result, they let me in because I had proof that they got my application, um, but they couldn't find it. So they let me in on a whim. And that's when I really said to myself, okay, it's time to get yourself together, Christina, and figure this out because you don't belong going to a great school like St. Joe's. Um, you you got a second chance at this and don't mess it up. So. Was it hard for you going in there? Because as you said, you said you don't belong going to school like this. And you said you didn't really care about, you know, school and high school. Yeah. So how did, what was your major and how did you attack it? Because college, I mean, I went to Stockton, but I went to Cherry Elite. So we, I grew up in a, with a great school system. Right. I was an okay student. I mean, right. I was either, I was on the waiting list at Trenton State because I had to pay two years of my college. And I got into Stockton and I'm glad because Stockton really shaped me and it's the person I am. It's because sure. of Stockton. But what was it like when you're like your freshman year? But did you know, like, did you have the whole concept? Like, I want to get into politics. I mean, what was your, and how did you focus once you got there? So I knew I was going to major in political science. Again, because of that elective in at Vineland High, um, I knew I wanted to study political science. What I wanted to do in the political space, I really didn't know. Um, young Christina, you know, like 20-year-old Christina wanted to be the mayor of my hometown of Vineland because, you know, I was going to marry my boyfriend at the time, stay in Vineland my whole life, and I wanted to be the mayor. Um, but at the end of the day, obviously, you know, things change <laughs> right. along the line. Um 
you know, when I got to St. Joe's, I majored in political science, started doing, um, you know, adored the coursework, but really, like I said, focused in um, and made sure that I didn't get distracted by a lot of things that distracted me in high school, which were friends and going out. So I didn't have much of a social life in college. I was just really laser focused. Sometimes I can be extreme. So I went from one extreme of enjoying my high school years, probably a little bit too much and not focusing on academics to going to four years at St. Joe's, really loving the curriculum and loving it being a Jesuit school as well and loving kind of that that education I was getting um, and hyper-focused on the academics and basically like had no social life, um, did the total reverse. But as a result, it really helped me focus and decide, you know, what I wanted to do was be in this space what that meant, I didn't know. But then after I got out of college and started applying to master's programs, I got a job working for a, f- a former elected official um, down in the first legislative district where I grew up in that Cumberland County, Cape May County area. And uh, and that opened a lot of doors to me and helped shine a light on lobbying, um, which is what eventually ended up bringing me to the South Jersey Chamber, where I am today, only now serving um, as president and CEO. But I still serve as our chief lobbyist and our chief spokesperson. I just have someone that handles the day-to-day. So I'm not spending three days a week up in Trenton anymore, which is not a bad thing. So if people don't really know, what does a lobbyist do? Because you know, no one ever says, you'll see a TV show, oh, the lobbyist. But no one ever sits there and goes, what does a lobbyist do? It's like when I lived in Hollywood. What does a producer do? A lot of people don't know. So what what was your job as a lobbyist? And does experience make you better as a lobbyist as you go on? Right. Uh, you know, you're lobbying. It's a lot like sales at the end of the day. You, if you're in sales, you want to sell your product. If you're a lobbyist, you want to sell a politician, a legislator in this case, on your public policy position, have him or her buy into it. Um, And whatever that position is, hopefully incorporate that in a piece of legislation that you're advocating for that makes that bill better, that gets signed into law. So, you know, I, I always compare it to sales. You, you have a position and you argue for it. You make that case to the legislators um, why it's a good thing or if something's bad, why this is a terrible thing and needs to not happen or needs to be removed and amended from a bill. And you just work to fine tune public policy in a way that ends up, in our case, working at a chamber of commerce helps the business community and also our nonprofit community here in South Jersey. So you're at the chamber and then you eventually you go to Christie's office. I do. How? Okay. So- was that something that when you were with the chamber and you were getting more into Trenton, was that something that you said, you know what, maybe I want to work for a public figure? I mean, how how did that transition go? Because you seem you're lobbying already and now going to a political office, I'm mm-hmm. guessing, I may be wrong, isn't the same as lobbying, mm-hmm. but you're 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 getting your you bust you're getting your chops at lobbying. So what what brought you to Uh, Christie's office. So I got a phone call one day from someone that was currently working in the administration that said the governor, former governor, was looking to bring on someone to be the liaison between chambers of commerce and other downtown associations and business associations all throughout the state of New Jersey. This was very early on in the Christie administration. Um, You know, I always say, you know, I'm sorry or you're welcome, but probably I'm sorry um, because most people, you know, these days don't really like the former governor. But at this time in 2010, 2011, he was like this bigger than life figure. Let let me interrupt you real quick. This is funny. And it's funny you say that because 
when I first started dating my wife, I was in LA. Okay. And I remember when she came out to visit me on her birthday, it's when Hurricane hand, uh, Sandy hit. Yep. So she got stuck. It was a pain with all the flights. But I was really a big, because he was kicking ass. I mean, I, as someone from the outside, mm -hmm. I, would, I would come back a lot. And it's funny you said that because at that point, I'm like, this guy's great. Yeah. But then things sort of change. Sure. But it's funny you notice that because, yeah, he, and people don't understand it. Like, at that point, when they had the commercial for the Sandy, he was like, everyone loved him. He was like a celebrity. Yeah, if he didn't give it, yeah. he was on Letterman. He was on, you know, but that's you funny. Gotcha. Okay, so back, so so you're working for him. Yeah, and I got that call that said, you know, it, we think you'd kind of be the perfect person for this. And interestingly enough, in, in, in line with that, you know, philosophy that everything you're doing today could impact what you do tomorrow, um, I guess my name had been kicked around as a good person for this role. And I was with the chamber lobbying on an issue um, and uh, two members of the governor's team stood in the committee room unbeknownst to me I didn't know these people I did I just strangers to me and listened to me testify on behalf of whatever the issue was Stephen I don't even remember what the issue was now but whatever it was they seemed impressed by you know my ability to um, push back on and support the business community and my advocacy. So that was, I guess, you know, folks I didn't know were watching me were watching me do my job at the chamber. I was approached. At that point, I really never thought I'd ever leave the chamber. In the back of my mind, I was only 29 years old at the time and um, or 28 and 28 or probably 28. And, you know, I was already thinking in my mind, I never want to leave the South Jersey chamber. I love I love the cross-section between business and, and advocacy and advocacy work um, and public policy. I love that. Um, and But I was obviously still young. I got this call. And like I said, it's it's not the way we think of Chris Christie today, the majority of folks. Um, it, you know, it was literally like getting a, a call from someone famous that wanted you to go. And how do you say no to a gig like that? So I went and did it. And uh, my predecessors at the chamber were very understanding. And they were wonderful. And I spent the first term with the former governor back when, you know, the first term is when people liked him and then and he won re-election, you know, with almost 70 percent of the vote in New Jersey. So even when he was up for re-election, about 70 percent of New Jersey still liked him. Then, as we know, it went downhill. And that's right around the time that I left. Um, I left in 2014 and then did return back to the chamber. How stressful is it when I know you I'm not going to talk about the bridge gate and all that. But how stressful is that when all of a sudden you're just a kid who took this, you know, took this dream job? Yeah. You went to like, you know, I'm a big spring scene. They'd be like, hey, Steve, you could be spring scene. I'm seeing spring scene tonight, Steve. Uh, where? Up in Newark. Oh, God. Sorry. You. I'm Sorry. Gonna, I'm, going, I'm going to see That's him. more important than I'm, this. I'm no, seeing, I'm just... no, it is, actually. <laughs> I'm seeing him in August. I've seen him 10 times. But um, but no, it's like that'd be me getting saying you're a tour manager. So you have this dream job, and then the shit hits the fan. Totally. What do you go through? Because it has to mentally take away from you. You probably get those stomach clings, like you're going to your job, going, I'm almost going to happen today. And then you got called to you know, testify. How did that affect you mentally? I mean, is it, is it draining? Because a lot of people haven't been through that. Oh, it was genuinely the most awful experience. I mean, you look up the definition of collateral damage and my picture should be right next to it in the dictionary because I was just a person that was a mid-level staff member that just happened to work for the wrong person in that administration. Um, I was I was working for an individual that was one of the people that was initially found guilty and then Supreme Court overturned that, but that was my direct boss. And so being that number two person to someone 
involved in the orchestration of what was Bridgegate um, made me a very key and central figure, unbeknownst to me as the issue was transpiring. But then once it became public and the world knew about it, I thought, oh, shit. I a lot of things that I had make a lot of sense now, and I think I'm going to be pretty important to the FBI, to the, the you know, to the prosecutor's office. And I was. And so I was a pretty key witness and all of that. And, you know, it's surreal. I was at that time I was uh, 31, 32. Yeah, I was 31, about to turn 32. And, you know, to, to see you up on MSNBC is scary. And I had only been married uh, two years at that point. And um, my stepchildren were really young. So reporters showing up at your house, reporters showing up you know, when they're getting off the bus, knocking on your door, trying to element of surprise. It was really wild, especially for someone who was young, not an intricate part of this administration and certainly not involved in the scenario that um, became this, you know, national and international phenomenon, certainly. Um, You know, I never thought I was going to work again. I thought who would ever hire me after what the media is saying about me and all this. But listen, it all ended up working out. All you have to do is you know, tell the truth, which was easy to do because, you know, once the pieces were put together for me, I was like, oh, shit, here we are. And then you get subpoenas that, you you know, say you better tell the truth and you're under oath and then you really better tell the truth. So it's really um, going through that process was certainly a learning experience for me. Um, And even though, you know, in my very early 30s, I thought Definitely, I was never, no one would, I would be unhirable in the future. You know, these things pass. And people tell me pretty frequently that I'm the only one that still thinks about it to this day. Like, no, no one thinks about that, Christina. No, you know, no one thinks about that. But it was a really turbulent time. It was really tough on my family, tough on me personally. And uh, I am happy. It is almost 10 years ago now. Yeah, so how did you fall? end up falling back on your feet? Because you you went back to the chamber and you've done well. But, I mean, what was it like when you're, now you're not working, Mm-hmm. And you're like, and you have this, you feel like you have this cloud over your head, which sure. to be honest, people were like, I mean, I would be like, I don't, when my wife watches MSNBC all the time, I don't watch anything. Sure. I'm like, yeah, I watch Smirconish, that's right. it. But how do you, how did you get back into the groove because you had a love of politics? So now you had to be a little bit jaded, like, sure. you know, screw this shit. I don't want to deal with this. How did you, how did you pull yourself together? Like saying, I have to move forward. Yeah, no, I mean, I didn't work for almost a full year. Um, and w- during that time period, you know, FBI is listening to your phone conversations. Your phone basically stops ringing. People aren't certainly aren't calling you and they definitely aren't emailing you. And but I got a call from my predecessor at the chamber um, who I had left to go work in the administration uh, who said, hey, Christina, listen, I don't know what happened, but I know you. I know your character and you have a job waiting here for you when you are ready to work again. And like I said, I didn't even know you were really going to ask me about this situation. But as I said before I before you even asked me, I never really wanted to leave the chamber in the first place. Like late 20s, Christina was like, I love this place and I never want to leave. So hearing that from my predecessor at the chamber, first of all, I mean, how incredible, you know, you're being judged, you know, media and is doing what they do and, and all this. And just to get that phone call, I remember crying and just being like, oh, my God. And then, you know, as time went on, I did have opportunities that started to present themselves. It became pretty clear. I think pretty quickly didn't feel like it at the time. But now in retrospect, that obviously I 
didn't do anything wrong. I was just like, again, you know, collateral damage in, in this situation. So, um, yeah, after that, uh, I took almost a year off and came back and it was really the best thing for me. Um, I did weigh some other opportunities, but how do you say no when, you know, someone is that supportive of you and you know you have this family back um, at the chamber that knew you before this happened and still want you to come back? And it was really amazing. And um, I'm just forever indebted to my predecessors and, you know, even Meredith Laura Lear, who's our executive vice president now. She was working at the chamber at the time. She's one of my best friends. And to have their support through that really tough time and to be welcomed back um, was amazing. Now, to the other side of that, I was brought back as vice president, which is great, but still my primary responsibility was lobbying. How so is I, that? Because you so must yeah. have, you're pissed, you're pissed, you're pissed at uh, Trenton. Sure. So, so is that like, were you, I mean, the first day back, were you like that kid who's afraid if they go to a new school? Like, yeah. oh my God. I mean, how was that for you? Oh, I mean, oh, I brought, you know, my um, anxiety medication. I, I had a panic attack the first day. I had to go to Trenton to lobby. If I'm being completely frank, I, it was terrifying. I thought everyone, you know, you're so in your head at that point, you know, you just feel like you don't, you know, again, your phone stops ringing when something like that happens. Um, but, you know, you, you just, you just, you do, you, you do the gig, right? Like you do the job. I'm getting paid to do it. I know I'm good at doing it. I know I didn't do anything wrong and this too shall pass. And just getting that in your mind um, is, is how you get through it. The one thing I will say that definitely taught me is that, you know, I definitely don't, ever want to run for elected politics. Like I said, you know, young 20-year-old Christina was going to marry marry her, 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 her kid boyfriend from her hometown and be mayor. It's not appealing to me at all because you see what could happen to just like a, a, a staffer, not even like a high-level staffer, just like a staffer. And you see how detrimental and how much a reputation can be ruined just from, you know, working for the wrong person in the wrong, on the wrong team through no fault of your own. And so I, I've washed my hands of it. And what I love about what I do now is it keeps one foot into that space that has always been my passion since high school when I had no other passions um, other than, you know, drinking and partying pretty much. Uh, uh, and but keeps one foot out. Um, which is kind of squarely where I, I want to be moving forward. And the chamber allows me to do that. Now, did you think when you when you joined the chamber again, did you think that you would end up being president? Because I know, you know, once again, the chamber, no one wants to leave. When I was in, in LA, the Burbank chamber, no one, everyone was there forever because it's a cool job and you meet good people and yeah. it's a good surrounding. And the also for the uh, CS, CCSNJ, mm -hmm. uh, it's, it's, it's an all-female staff, which for me, I think is great. I've told this story before where my mom graduated at University of Temple in 1952. She was the only female in her marketing classes. Get out of here. And then she, when because when you say Campbell Soup, when she was a junior, she already had an offer to go to Campbell Soup as a market research manager when she graduated. So I've always been strong in support of women business owners. And I don't even think of them as women business owners. I just think of them as business owners. But that must be, you know, that's one of the reasons why no one wants to leave because it's it's a group of dynamic women. You know, I've said this before, you know, you get a bunch of guys, guys get the big egos and, and it's just normal. But when, did you think when you went back that you would sit there and eventually become 
president? Because who was it? Deb? Deb? Deb, Deb before? Because yep. Deb was there for a long time. Did you think, and, and in the back of your head, you're going, maybe she'll retire? I mean, what was it like for you? Because you knew someone had to leave for you to get to the position you wanted to. And then I guess the one year, Lisa Heard left and Deb left, sure. which was crazy. So what what was your plan when you went back? Was you said, I want to be president? So uh, Deb was pretty honest with me and said, not only do I want you to come back, you know, when I finally got to a place where I was starting to pursue, you know, getting back into the workforce, um, Deb had sort of said to me, well, not only do I want you to come back, but I, you know, I, my timeline's about five years until I retire. And I think you could potentially be a great candidate to run this organization one day. And I was kind of flabbergasted because my, again, my brain has always been so wired in that public policy space, you know, not so much politics, campaigning, but, you know, advocating for good policies is something that I really became very passionate about. And it was an exciting thought. It's nothing I never, it's nothing I ever really thought about. Um, and what she said to me was, in order to see if this is going to be a fit for your future, you need to take on more than just our government affairs work. I want you to start overseeing, you know, member retention and, you know, some of our membership sales, not overseeing it, but kind of tipping, you know, you're putting your toe into a little bit and seeing, you know, how that goes. And I'll tell you, Steve, I was not pissed because it was a cool opportunity, but like, I'm like, I'm just getting back into this. Like, I know what I'm good at. I know, you know, why I've been successful up to this point. I really didn't want to take anything else on. I was also still super fragile at the time, but it ended up being great after one year of really focusing on on membership in totality, right? Member sales, member retention, and helping support our staff at the chamber. I loved it. And I became like addicted to who's who's rejoining, who's not rejoining, who is not rejoining and get them on the phone with me. Let me chat with them. Like they, they can't. Why would they not want to rejoin? And, I, you know, back to when we were talking about before, I said lobbying is a lot like sales. Well, a big part of membership is sales. So it's like thinking about Steve Cooper, you're a member. Well, why are you a member? Talk to me about why you're a member. Tell me why you're a member. And then you tell me why you're a member. And then I tell you the things that we do that is going to be a match to why you joined. Because again, the reason why you joined is not the reason why X person joined or Y person joined. Everyone has different priorities. So much like in lobbying and public policy, you know, what's your position and who are you talking to? And what is that person? Oh, that person has, you know, um, you know, generally likes X. So let's try to compare it to this or let's in, in here's a business in this legislator's district that could be super affected and has 400 employees. Let's talk about how this will impact those 400 employees because those people are voting for that guy. And that matters. The same thing happens with membership. And as much as I hated it at first and was like, I can't believe Deb's doing this to me. It wasn't about taking on more work. It was just like I didn't want it do it. It opened my eyes to different aspects of the chamber. And after a year, I was like, I love this. And if if you are retiring in now four years, my hat's in. Like, tell me everything I need to do. I want to, I want to do it. I love this place. And I, and I love learning more about other areas of the chamber that make it tick. And, uh, and then it was kind of like a very long four-year transition period until Deb um, ended up retiring in, in December of 2019. Um, but we got there. And it's not her choice, right? We have a very large and high level board of directors and executive committee. And, you know, 
they had to be okay with it too. Um, so it was definitely an interesting time because all of the ramifications of everything I was dealing with back from my time in the administration, they went on until the end of 2016. And I came back at the end of 2014. So I really had two full years at the chamber trying to elevate myself, um, learn other areas of the chamber um, while still kind of dealing with the past life that was lingering because that took several years to kind of, um, you know, get to finality on it. But, you know, here we are. And then January 2020, I took over as president. So what what is the president's like if, if you had to give a quick overlay of what the president's job description is because i know you're the president and you oversee everything sure and you go to events when you can but it's yeah. like once again it, people have to understand like if you go to an event and christina ren is not there it's like well she does have a life you know right. it's not like she's not working <laughs> 80 hours a week and it's people i mean if we see it, it's great but what what would you say are if someone if someone was listening some young person said i want to be a chamber president one day what are they looking at what are they going to have to do once you become the president what do you do you you do a few things. First of all, you need to understand value and respect people and the value in customer service, which at the end of the day is exactly what we do at the chamber is provide our members a service. Um, and that service could be any of the services we provide. It's very rarely all of the services we provide, but it is getting to know your membership, being approachable wanting, having a genuine curiosity about what a person does for a living, who a person is, um, and how we can help make them succeed. You have to really, really want to see your members continue to grow. Um, and so at the <laughs> at the end of the day, what I do is a little bit of everything, right? Some days I spend fully on uh, member development, um, you know, helping our salesperson think strategically about how we can engage some larger members, looking at our trends in membership. Last year, we recruited 226 new members. That's fantastic. But we didn't meet our budget, if I'm being honest, because what does that signal? It signals that we recruited very strong, but smaller businesses and nonprofit organizations, which are great because Nonprofits, small businesses, mid-sized businesses, and large businesses, you need a nice mixture of all of them to make a chamber be really successful. You can't just have big corporations. You can't have just main street businesses. You need a little bit of mix of everything. So that was an interesting trend to see. So this year, because we did recruit smaller last year, I want a little bit focus on recruiting a little bit bigger this year, right? Because you want to make sure we're maintaining that nice member balance. So some days I spend just on that. Some days I spent just on the road attending events, to your point. I mean, being present and being visible and letting the members get to know you is such a huge part of, of making members feel like they're valued and they're a part of an organization that actually cares about them. You know, and and the majority of days are spent on the strategic vision of the organization, just like any organization. You know, we were handed in 2020 from my predecessor a very strong organization financially and otherwise, and we had a little over 900 members. So it's like, okay, that's a blessing because it's not like you had to blow up the joint once you took it over. You've heard those stories of people that take over a company have to totally demolish the place and start from scratch. Totally not our case. So again, huge blessing. The question then becomes, how do you make a good organization even better? And that's kind of cool. Like that is fun. That, that That's a great place to be. Of course, then we got 
walloped with COVID. So that changed some things. But I think um, only being three months into the job at 38 years old and trying to figure out how we make this organization a, a value add still at a time that most businesses were not even operating totally changed how I look at the chamber today and how I sit in front of members today and how I message out the value of a chamber membership. Um, so a lot of my time is spent nowadays on, you know, growing and what does what is the next cool thing we should be doing that no other organization is doing? What are the trends of the future that are going to propel us and make us attractive to younger professionals, emerging leaders um, in our organizations? Um, what are some strategic partnerships that we're not currently looking at that could help not just our chamber, but more importantly, our members. Um, and also a big piece of that too is thinking about how we as a chamber of commerce that will always put business first can identify new and unique ways to connect and give back to the South Jersey business community, or I'm sorry, the South Jersey community in totality, not just business, but like I said, our nonprofits and our non-traditional community partners. You know, if I can go and go to, um, you know, a, 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 a a church service, for example, that has, um, you know, a, a following in, in an area that, you know, maybe they've never heard of a chamber of commerce, but that room is filled with people that are very much into seeing their community thrive. Maybe some of them have businesses. Maybe some of them are entrepreneurs. Let's talk. I would love to hear your ideas because then maybe I could help you make those ideas a reality, right? So some of those non-traditional routes to growing the membership base too. Um, so anyway, that's what I kind of do. I do a little bit of everything. I do thing, everything from planning events, writing scripts for events and attending events, to selling memberships, to retaining, to working with members to make sure that they see value and want to retain their memberships, to proofing marketing material. I mean, we're a very small operation. We're only nine people. And so we all do a little bit of everything. No job is too small. No job is too big. How important to the chamber, and I always say you, you get in what you, as a member, you get in what you put into it. How important do you think networking is? Because I always talk to people how, you know, in this day and age, especially after COVID, mm -hmm. you know, networking is so important. We People built really solid relationships. Mm -hmm. How important do you think networking is? Networking is extremely important, but the but here is that you need to know who you are and you need to know what you're selling and you need to know your brand. Sometimes we talk to members that I'll ask them a question, why did you join the chamber? What are you looking to get out of it? And they don't know the answer. Or I say to them, what kind of client are you looking for? Oh, it could be anything. I'm going to need more than that. You know what I mean? Uh, give me more. Well, I do a little bit in cannabis and I do a little bit. I'm very interested in healthcare. Focus, target. Networking is important across the board, 1000%. But if you don't know who you are, what you're selling and what brand you want to put out there as you network yourself, you're not going to nearly be as successful as you would be if you come in and you know exactly what you're looking to sell, what you're looking to brand yourself as, and what you're trying to communicate. And, you know, 
So yes, networking is extremely important, but it's not just showing up at, a, at an event and thinking, you know, I attended this event, so now business is going to come to me. It doesn't work that way. Um, and you need to also have a strong sense of what your business is or what, and what your business goals are in order to make networking successful. What do you think makes a good networker? Besides the focus of goal, what do you think makes a person a good networker? And then I'm gonna ask you, what do you think makes a person a mm -hmm. bad networker? Because you run into both because you go to a lot of events. I run into them all the time. But what, what do you think makes someone a good networker? A good networker is someone that realizes that networking is not about business card exchanges or sh shaking hands. It's about establishing relationships. So networking, going out, let's say I own a landscaping business and um, I go out and I go to one event and I get to meet people and I go to another event and I get to meet people. I may not get business for six months because let's say it's winter. Let's just say it's right. Let's just say it's fall, okay? And I'm a landscaper, and I start going out to networking events. There's no business to be had. But if I continue to go to events, maybe one a week, once every two weeks, maybe even just once a month, but you get to know people, and they get to know who you are. When springtime comes around, shit, I need a landscaper. I just met Steve Cooper, and Steve Cooper would be a great landscape. You know, I, I know a guy. I I, I know a gal. She's she, she's she's fantastic. Let's give her a try. The best networkers know it's probably not going to happen overnight. Hey, sometimes you get lucky and it does happen overnight, but probably it's going to be a little bit of a process. And um, that tied to, you know, knowing who you are and how you want to brand yourself are going to be the two things that the best networkers know and are very intentional in their networking. What well, makes someone a bad networker? I mean, exactly what I said, not knowing what you're trying to not knowing who you are, what you do, and what you're trying to sell, and not knowing how to message it, message it in a concise manner that makes, you know, someone someone's ears perk up. You know, if I sell insurance, no offense to all of mine, I have lots of insurance, but I mean, it's not like the sexiest thing, right? So, like, how do you make that sexy, and how do you tailor? your message to your audience. I mean, again, exactly what I was talking about with lobbying, same thing. Who's your audience as a politician? How do I tailor my message in a way, you know, that legislator is going to care because that business has 400 people and those people vote for them. I should target that. If you're a salesperson selling insurance, oh, um, you have um, 10 employees at your bicycle shop um, and they're all young, so they're not going to need X services, you know, so let me tweak my pitch and tell you, oh, these are the services I have that fits specifically your employee base. Then all the other stuff is nonsense. They wouldn't care about any of the other stuff you sell. So bad networking is not knowing who you are, not knowing what you sell and how to message what you sell in an effective matter, matter to your audience. Now you've gotten a lot of accolades, 40 under 40 and all those different things. And you know- I'm just, over 40 now, But Steve. you've gotten them though, but, <laughs> but you've had a lot of accolades. How good does that make you feel? Because as you said, you know, you went through that shit show years ago and, yeah. and it's it shows one, it shows your character where you didn't give up. Two, it shows you're pretty damn resilient because most people would go, put the tail between your legs and disappear. How, or did, I mean, sometimes people go, ah, I got accolades. Some people love them. Some people pay for them. Some people actually get them like you do. There's so many people do pay for them. It cracks me up. <laughs> but uh, does that mean something to you that actually people said, you know, after all you went through that, would you look in the mirror and go, man, you know what? I really, I'm kicking ass. I mean, and, and people can say that. People always think if you say you're too full of yourself, but did they mean a lot to you? Because what you went through and just, you, you, you had to basically 
reinvent yourself, even though the people from the chamber still had the belief in you and they knew who you were and they, they loved you and that's why they brought you in. But do those awards mean something to you because what you've gone through? I am consistently humbled by, you know, being included on these statewide business leader lists, women in business lists, you know, non-female focused, just business leaders lists. Yeah, I mean, it's, 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 a, it's an amazing feeling. I'm not going to pretend it's not. Um, what I will say is that I also think that society in general, and I don't know if it's just a New Jersey thing or not, I doubt it is, but like we are so obsessed with like lists, like there's your top lawyers and your top people in healthcare and then your top people in business and then your top association leaders. And and I don't mean to sound, you know, ungrateful because I'm the total opposite of that. But in the same breath, it's like, you know, I just want to do good by my members and I just want to make sure my team at the chamber who are like literally my family are taken care of and feel valued. And I want my members to feel like they can pick up the phone and call me about anything personal, professional. I just that to me is more important than being on all these lists because, you know, and that's not just I, I love being on the list. I do. I'm not I mean, I'm not gonna pretend I don't, but you'll very rarely see me like post if I'm listed on those things. Um, if the chamber wants to share it or my friends and family want to share it, that's great. But for me, that's not, you know, what drives me. What drives me is really more just doing the job. And some people would say, and probably aren't wrong, like you need to do better at branding yourself, right? Like no one's going to be your cheerleader but you. You got to go out and do it. But I don't know. That's just not kind of who I am. I am always so flattered and I have everything, you know, awards and, and things. And, and, and it is. It's remarkable where I was about nine years ago compared to today. Again, thinking I was never going to work again um, to, to where I am. But that's really not what drives me. So I'm very humbled and very flattered by it, but I actually don't talk about that stuff all that much, even <laughs> if we're being honest. <laughs> okay, well, that's good. Uh, one final question. Uh, one final question. Where do you see, where do you want to take the chamber in the next five years? Because I don't always sit there, always people go, where do you see yourself in the next five years? And I might be dead. I don't know. But I mean, it's where do you see, where do you, in the ideal world, where would you want to take the South, the chamber in the next five years? Well, Steve, I'm currently working on our five-year strategic plan. So really, we should do this in a year, and I can tell you then. But I'm just kidding. I have obviously all the ideas up uh, uh, up here. Um, you know, I see us and I see society in some ways moving. Events are so important and networking is so important. But our chamber does about 110 in-person events a year, not including the virtual events that we still do, um, which are about 30 a year, give or take. We end up cannibalizing ourselves at times. And there's so many other chambers that are doing events. You end up competing against yourself and you're competing against all your other competitors in the space who, I mean, we're competitors, but we're all friends because we all have the same mission at the end of the day. My five-year plan, I think, consists of trying to find a way to still be an event-driven event, but taking a step back and doing less events, but more impactful events. Um, you know, maybe larger scale, 
maybe like a, you know, a two day thing in Atlantic City where it's all South Jersey focused. And, you know, if we can make revenue from that and, and the members can identify really strong value out of whatever that looks like, you know, maybe we can cut back 10 or 20 events a year and not be as manic on the event side. Um, but still giving members what they want, but just looking at things differently. Um, looking at non-dues revenue is a huge priority for me moving forward and really any chamber. Um, you know, non-dues revenue is what sustains your budget. It's really not your membership dues, although that's very important, but it's, you know, your sponsorships and your marketing and your advertising, affinity programs, collaborations you could set up. So looking a little bit more strategically at some of those are a big part of the five-year plan and looking at different ways that we can give back Back to community in a way that helps our members and also um, helps whatever community entity um, we are looking to help. So without giving too much away because it's not fully baked yet, I'm working on something right now throughout the course of the year with all of South Jersey's county colleges and something that we can do as the South Jersey Chambers, the regional chamber of commerce that has Salem Community College, ACCC, RCSJ, RCBC, and Camden County College all in our membership. Well, why aren't we working with them on some workforce development things a little bit closer? So again, that's not really fully baked yet, but that looking at things like that long term are and that's the fun stuff, Steve. Like that's like the cool stuff. Um, so you got a lot. You got a lot on the plate. Yeah. Anyway, I want to thank you for coming by. Uh, how can people uh, get in touch with you, and how can people find out more about the chamber? Definitely our website. It is super current and constantly up to date. www chambersnj.com. So as in Southern New Jersey, chambersnj.com. If you want to get a hold of me, I'm always an email or a phone call away. Uh, my email is c-r-e-n-n-a, c-r-e-n-n-a, at chambersnj.com. Um, and all of my contact information is up on the website too. So you can always look for me there. But um, yeah, I mean, I'm always looking to connect with any member of the community, especially, of course, if you're a business person or a nonprofit organization. Um, but, you know, and we're always looking at different strategic ways that we can continue to grow. So I'm I'm always all ears and open to all all the ideas. So people reach out to Christina and join the chamber. Um, people, you can find past episodes of the Coop Tank at thecooptank.podbean.com or on Spotify, Amazon Music, or iHeartRadio. My other podcast, the business podcast, is coopertalk.net. There's over 950 interviews with lots of big performers. RVN Television, Cooper Talk Local. I get the biggest and hottest comedians and musicians in the area as guests in studio for a 25-minute talk. Um, also, uh, Saturday, April 29th, I'll be down there at the City Winery in Center City, Philadelphia, doing stand-up with my good friend Joe Matteris. I'm going to thank Joe Ganjami from Sweet Recording. Please reach out to Sweet Recording. They're great. Uh, the info is sweet, S-U-I-T-E, recording.com. I'm Steve Cooper, and I will talk to you all next time. <laughs>